Today, we finish up our God is series, and this series has been something that uh, I've really enjoyed myself, and we basically look through this series, just some of the attributes of who God is, and translate through God who Jesus is, and uh, we've, we've opened up some, some things. Uh, we've been going through, the, uh, uh, through Luke chapter 16 to uh, uh, Luke, tw- uh, cha- Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through to 22, and Isaiah chapter 61, and they're, and they're powerful verses. Um, and as we close up this series today, I want us to look at the very last thing that Jesus said in this passage. And it's all to do with debt. How, how many of you, you can, you, you can raise your hand because I'm sure every one of us, how many of you have some sort of debt of some point, uh, of some type in, in your life? Man, I want to check the ones who didn't raise their hands. It's like they're the ones taking us out for, for lunch, right? Well, did you know, did you know in the New York City, I don't know if any of you have seen it or been in New York City, but in New York City, there's a big sign. It's right by Times Square, um, and it's between uh, um, uh, 6th Avenue and 7th Avenue. And there's this big sign, and it's called the National Debt Calculator. And you walk up to this sign, and the, the numbers are constantly going all the time, showing the debt that the United States government have. And I'll be honest, it's a number that I don't think I even know exists. The, the number basically to round it off is like 17 followed by 12 zeros. If anybody can tell me what number that is, then shout it out, let me know. But I, I don't know what number that is. Well... That's the number of debt that the United States government or the United States, the deficit is. That number increases by 3.88 billion each day. Each day. I mean, that's just ridiculous. This, this past Friday, uh, uh, and many of you may have been affected by it. Many of you may know people who have been affected by it. But there was a bunch of cuts um, in the government that, that, that was passed. And uh, I was speaking to, to, to a girl I know this week, and she was saying that uh, uh, her husband works for the government, and he's going to be furloughed. And as a result of the cuts, he's, not going, to, he's going to have to work one day less a week, and then he's going to get no overtime. And she was telling me that that results in about $30,000 in their pay less he's going to get. And they were kind of struggling financially as it was. So, like, she was stressed out to the max. And I could imagine. Well, that's kind of the debt that the United States government is in. But not just the United States government. Actually, we as citizens and residents of the United States, combined together, we have a total in consumer debt of $11.31 trillion dollars. That's a number with a whole lot of zeros as well. Then we have, as Americans, $849 billion in credit card debt. We have $8.03 trillion in mortgage debt. And then we have $956 billion in student loan debt. And that student loan debt alone this last year has increased by 4.6%. The average household in America, and I'm trying not to depress you this morning. If you've got debt, you're thinking, wow, my debt's not that bad. I feel pretty good. The average household in America has $15,257 in credit card debt alone. 
they have $149,782 in mortgage debt. And the average person who graduates from college has over $34,000 in student loan debt. I remember I paid off all my student loans at the age of 30. I turned 30 and I paid them all. And I just celebrated. I was like, wow. And I went to college when it wasn't that much. People graduating from college now, they're going to be paying that debt into their 40s and 50s. Pretty crazy. Could you say that we are a nation of people in debt? Even though that I think financial debt is at an all-time high, debt is something that has been around since the world began. And I'll give you an example. An Indian man, if he wants his daughter to get married for centuries, and it's still the same today, he has to pay a debt or what we call a dowry to the new in-laws in order for them to accept the daughter. So if you've got daughters this morning, then bad luck. If you've got sons, you're, you're, you're doing good. Farmers all over this world cannot afford to buy their own land. So they, they basically rent land from other farmers and, and, and throughout the centuries. In order to pay for that land, they've either given money that they've got in from selling their crops or a portion of their crops as a debt, as a payoff to a debt to that landowner. Even in the Bible, we see that people had debt. There was a guy called Jacob. Jacob fell in love with a girl called Rachel, and he went to Rachel's father and asked for a hand in marriage. He said, sure, you can marry Rachel, but you've got to work for me for seven years. And then he worked for seven years. The father-in-law tricked him. He gave him his other daughter. And then a week, a week later, or two weeks later, then he allows Rachel to be married. But then the father-in-law says, you've got to work for me another seven years. So 14 years in all to pay off a debt in order to have the woman of his dreams. I'm not sure if 14 years of working is really worth it. But there's plenty more fish in the sea, people. But that, that was the debt altogether. One thing is for sure, though, whether you have debt or not, and most of us this morning, we have some kind of debt. Debt has a tendency to weigh heavy on our shoulders. And it gives some of you sleepless nights. And there's people all over this country who are having sleepless nights every night because of the debt that they have. And many people, they cannot see an end in sight. And I tell you, the United States government, they really should be having sleepless nights because I don't know how they're ever going to pay that debt off. It's just a cycle, and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. So Jesus came to this earth, and before Jesus performed any miracle, before Jesus taught any sermon, gave any parable, Jesus one day stood up in his local synagogue in a place called Nazareth, and he claimed to everybody that he was the chosen one sent from God. And as a result, he says, I have come to bring freedom and liberty to God's people. He says, I have come to provide access to God for people with the good news of the gospel. He claimed that he had come to comfort those who are brokenhearted and those who mourn in life. Jesus claimed he'd come to bring freedom from your sin. And he claimed to open the eyes of those who were blind and give them clear sight. And we've talked in the last four weeks 
all about those things. But that day, there was one more thing that Jesus claimed that he had come to do. And if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 16. It says, it says, When Jesus came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, as usual, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read the Scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. And this was Isaiah chapter 61. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed or basically means he has chosen me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And Jesus rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, sat down, all eyes of the synagogue looked at Jesus intently. Then he began to speak to them, the scriptures you have heard has been fulfilled this very day. So we see all these things that Jesus said he had come to do. He had come to bring good news. He had come to comfort those who were brokenhearted. He had come to set the prisoner free or the the captive free. He had come to open the eyes of the blind and set the oppressed free. And the final thing that Jesus says, he says, I have come to bring God's favor. I've come to bring God's favor. Other translation says, I have come to announce the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, you may think, well, what does that even mean? I mean, what, what, what does that mean? What does favor mean? Well, favor basically means to be approved, to be approved. So if you've got God's favor, God has approved of you. If you've got someone else's favor, then they have approved you. So, so, so is Jesus saying that he has come just to give God's approval? I think it's a little bit more than that. Actually, when you read Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 2, when it was written in the original context, the translation there basically says that, it says, I have come to bring the acceptable year or announce the acceptable year of the Lord. And what the acceptable year of the Lord was, was something that we find all the way back in the book of Leviticus. And it's called the year of Jubilee. Now that's kind of like, I think, a real churchy kind of like word. I, I, I'm, I'm from the United Kingdom. And uh, we have a queen. And the queen has just celebrated her Jubilee. And uh, uh, Golden Jubilee means she's been reigning for... I don't know how many years, 50, 60 years, something like that. I should know that, really, shouldn't I? Um, but, 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 but they celebrated because it was a time, a level of time that she had served. And this is what the year of Jubilee was. It was actually a year that the Israelites celebrated. So let, let's explain what this is. So if you want to turn to uh, Leviticus chapter 25. And now, if you've ever read the book of Leviticus... It is pretty hard reading. Uh, I, I would encourage you when you're really sleepy at night to read it and try to stay awake because it's just stuff that just doesn't apply to us anymore because it's all these rituals, all these sacrifices that God was telling the uh, Israelites to make. But there's some things in there that really apply to our lives today. And this is one of them. 
So Leviticus chapter 25, it's a long chapter, we won't read it all, uh, but there's a lot, there's a lot to go through and, and things like that. We'd be here like night and day if we went through all this. But I want to read you a portion so you see what this year of Jubilee was all about. So in Leviticus 25 in verse 8, it says, In addition, you must count off seven Sabbath years, seven sets of seven. For those of you good at maths, how many is that? How many years is that? Seven times seven? 49, well, well done, good, impressive. So 49 years in all. It says, then on the day of atonement, on the 50th year, blow the ram's horn loud and long throughout the land. Set this year apart as holy, a time to proclaim freedom throughout the land for all who live there. It will be a jubilee year for you. When each of you may return to the lands that belong to your ancestors and return to your own clan. So if any of you aren't from Maryland, if this was the year for you, you would go back to your hometown where you were originally from. Then it says, this 50th year will be a jubilee year for you. During that year, you must not plant your fields or store away any of the crops that grow on their own. And don't gather grapes from the unpruned vines. It will be a jubilee year for you, and you must keep it holy. You must eat whatever the land produces on its own. In the jubilee, in the jubilee year, uh, each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors. When you make an agreement with your neighbor to buy or sell property, you must not take advantage of each other. When you buy land from your neighbor, the price you pay must be based on the number of years since the last jubilee. The seller must set the price into account the number of years remaining until the next jubilee. The more years until the next jubilee, the higher the price. The fewer the years, the lower the price. After all, the person selling the land is actually selling you a certain number of harvests. So they're not selling the actual thing, they're just selling you, renting it to you, basically, for a time being. It says, show your fear of God by not taking advantage of each other. I am the Lord your God. If you want to live securely in the land, follow my decrees and obey my regulations. Then the land will yield large crops and you will eat your fill and live securely in it. You might ask, what will we eat during the seventh year since we are not allowed to plant or harvest crops that year? Be assured that I will send you my blessing for you in the sixth year so that the land will produce a crop large enough for three years. When you plant your fields in the eighth year, you will still be eating from the large crop of the sixth year. In fact, you will still be eating from the large crop when the new crop is harvested in the ninth year. And we could go on for the next 30 minutes and read all the different rules and regulations that God had for the Jubilee year. But basically, this is it in a nutshell. The Jubilee year happened every 50 years in Israel. So basically, for most people, once in a lifetime, they would have a Jubilee year. If you're lucky, you would have two. But for most people, it was once in a lifetime. And God told the Israelites on the 50th year, every 50 years, 
You are to set this year aside to be a year of rest. A year of rest. Nobody was allowed to sow any seeds in the ground. Most of the people that in those days, they, they weren't bankers and they weren't customer service reps and they weren't mechanics or doctors. Most people were farmers. And so God basically said to them, the work that you do on this year for a whole year, you're not allowed to work for a whole year. Now, wouldn't that be pretty awesome? You know, I mean, if we got a whole year off, I mean, I, I, I struggle with just having like Three weeks off. I mean, I want lots of time off. I can't do it. But a whole year off, I mean, that would just be amazing. And this is what God says. And then God says that any crops that grow, you can pick the crops and you can eat the crops, but you can't store the crops. So basically, you can't have a savings account. That's basically what God is saying for this year, for this particular year. Then he says that there is no interest to be placed on any purchases at all. And as you read through uh, Leviticus 25, you see that. No interest at all. So if you go to the bank and you want a loan, they're not allowed to charge you interest. I mean, that's pretty cool, isn't it? You know? I mean, if you use a credit card and you, know, and you buy something, it's like interest-free for a year. That's what God is saying for this year, this year of Jubilee. Then he says, all property that you owned... So any property that you owned on this year was to be given back to the original owner. So for those of you, you own homes. You pay a mortgage each each year. In ancient Israel, on the 50th year, you would have to give that home back to its original owner. That's pretty crazy. Now it's not sounding so good, right? Not so good. And then, and then, uh, then the reason was that because basically everything was rented instead of purchased. Then those who were poor, they had to be helped on this year by others. If anyone went without, then everybody else would have to help them out. No one was allowed to exhort the poor. So basically, there would be no more uh, uh, payday loan services. There would be no more uh, um, high interest uh, of trying to exhort people who were poor. They were not allowed on this year. Those who were slaves to others, they had to be released and given their freedom. Those who worked to pay off a debt, they were excused of that debt. So just imagine, for those of you, you've got maybe some credit card bills, you've got some medical bills, you've got some student loans. The year of Jubilee comes around, and the people that you owe that money to Now they've got to excuse you of all that debt. I'm thinking, this is pretty cool. I'm thinking, I'm maybe going to go to school about three years before the year of Jubilee and like work up as much student debt as I can and then they can't charge me for it. This is what happened in ancient Israel. And this is what God commanded. Basically, all debts were canceled and everybody had to rest. And then God said, my blessing and acceptance would be upon everyone in the land. This was a time of rejoicing. So basically, at the beginning of the year, somebody like a priest would come, and he would blow the ram's horn, and everybody would start to rejoice because the year of Jubilee had come upon Israel. And God's idea for Israel wasn't that they would become independently wealthy. 
Because I don't know if you've looked at this world, but the majority of the time that somebody becomes wealthy, somebody else loses out. And God didn't want that for Israel. What God wanted for Israel was that God wanted to bless and prosper Israel as a nation, but they could never forget that God was the one who would provide for them. It was God's provision for them. And they said, if you keep these commandments, I will bless you. God even said, the year before Jubilee, I will give an enormous harvest and bless you in the year after, if you keep this promise. So on the 50th year, they would basically give back to God what God had blessed them with. Well, you say, well, what has this got to do with me? And what has this got to do with Jesus? I mean, we, we don't follow a year of Jubilee anymore. Jesus really never talked about following the year of Jubilee. Every 50th year, we, we don't have the, well, what has this got to, to do with us? Well, this is what it's got to do with us. Jesus one day stands in a synagogue. And he proclaims that he has come to bring the acceptable year of God. He has come to declare God's favor. He has come to bring the jubilee year. That's what Jesus is saying. Well, the problem was the people who were hearing this were thinking, well, I think Jesus uh, is kind of on another planet because it wasn't the actual physical year of jubilee in Israel at the time that Jesus said this. But Jesus wasn't talking about the physical year of Jubilee. Jesus was now claiming that a time had come, a time on earth had come for people to rest from the struggles of this life. He was telling people that no longer that you have to work to be right with God. He was claiming that the debt of sin that hung over all our lives was about to be excused. Jesus was claiming that the slavery that we, are, we have to material things was about to be released and a time of celebration was about to come. You know, Jesus throughout his life spoke many times in these terms. And you just have to read the Gospels and read Ma- the book of Matthew, the book of Mark, the book of Luke and the book of John to see this. God, throughout his, his, his time here on earth, Jesus, throughout his time here on earth, spoke many times about all these things that we've discussed over the last four or five weeks. And I want to finally show you a verse in the Bible where God talks about this jubilee and what it means to us. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Just a little snippet, but this little snippet just shows us exactly what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus has come to bring. And in verse uh, 28 of Matthew 11, it says, Then Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and I will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. This verse right here is Jesus talking about this jubilee that he wants for your life. So let's take a quick look at what he says. Firstly, Jesus says, come unto me. All you who are weary and heavy 
later. You know, as I look upon our community and just the area around here in Harford County, I see so many people who are weary and what the Bible calls heavy laden. I see so many families that are just struggling to keep up with their mortgage. And that monthly payment is just weighing heavy on their shoulders. I see mothers who are just tired of having to deal with their kids and, and, and battle trying to raise up their children. I see so many fathers who feel that the stresses of this life are just closing in on them and they can't get a spare minute just to breathe. I see college students who are overwhelmed with the work that they have in order to get their degree and their anxiety that they may not even have a job at the end of all that work. I see young students who are going to middle school or high school and they hate the fact that every day they have to go to school because they know they don't fit in with the other people in that school. And it reminds them of who they're not and it weighs heavy on their shoulders. You know, I see the elderly who feel that they're a burden to their family because they can no longer take care of themselves. I got a grandfather who... Geesh, I mean, the stories I've heard lately. He's 92 and uh, he's going a bit loopy. And he's just becoming a burden to my mom and dad. And my mom is weighed heavy with the burden of having to look after my grandfather. You know, I, I see businessmen who, who are weighed heavy because they can't seem to catch a break. And their business just isn't taking off. I see the single person who's drowning in credit card debt or student loans and they feel that they can never get out of the cycle of constantly just drowning more and more in that debt. And if you are one of those this morning, I've got some good news for you. And the good news is this, is that Jesus wants you to come to him. And you may not have the energy to come. You may feel that you don't have the time to come to Jesus. But Jesus wants, to make, wants you to make the first move, and he wants you to go to him. You know, when I was younger, the thought of, of having to ask a girl to marry me horrified me. I always, they say what, every leap, day, every, you know, every time we have a leap year on the leap day, the woman can ask the man to marry them. Well, I was just hoping that I would find a girl who would be willing to do that on that day. Because the thought of actually going to a girl and asking her to marry me horrified me. Even the thought of just asking a girl to go out with me when I was younger horrified me because you may not know it now, but I'm pretty shy. And I was really shy as a child and as a, as a, as a, and as a teenager. And the thought of having to go to somebody and making the first move horrified me. But yet, if I never made the first move, then Mrs. Pendock would have never married me. She would have never even known that I like, liked her. And, you know, I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. And this is exactly what Jesus wants you to do. Jesus wants you to go to him. Not wait for you, for him to come to you, but he wants you to go to him. You can't just wait for everything to be better. Jesus says, come. Come unto me, everyone 
who is weary and heavy laden. And if you're feeling weary with life today, if the struggles of life are just weighing you down, Jesus says, come unto me. And then when you come unto me, this is what he said. He says, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Jesus said the result of you coming to him is rest. If you take the action and go to Jesus, Jesus will give you this personal jubilee. Just like the whole of Israel every 50 years had rest. Jesus says, I want to give you rest. And when you find the rest of Jesus, you find the weight of this life just starts to lift off you. You will find real rest. I'm not just talking about a good night's sleep. But I'm talking about the burden of life that you are carrying. The weariness that is just, just weighing you down will be lifted and you'll feel like you can breathe once again. You know, I think Christians are very good at a lot of the commandments that God gave. God gave the Israelites ten commandments and I think we're pretty good at the majority of the commandments. Don't murder. I don't know anyone here this morning who's murdering. Don't steal. I'm like, you better not be stealing. You know, don't commit adultery. You know, that, I mean, you don't want to do that. It will destroy your life. And there's all these things we're very good at. But there's one commandment, third commandment. Jesus says, you shall keep the Sabbath day holy. What the Sabbath day was, it was a day, one day every seven days, where God said that nobody was allowed to work, nobody was allowed to, uh, uh, to basically uh, do anything strenuous, because on this day I want you to rest. And this was something that they obeyed for years and years, and I gotta, I'll be honest, I think now today the majority of us, we're not very good at taking a Sabbath. You know, some of us think just coming to church is a Sabbath, but that isn't what a Sabbath is. A Sabbath is a day when you rest. You rest your body, you rest your mind, you rest your soul, and then you think about God. And you think on the things of God. And you dedicate it to God. And I'll be honest, I'll be the first this morning to admit, I am really bad at keeping Sabbath days. And I remember a couple of weeks ago, I was just praying before the Lord. I was like, God, help me. Help me to obey that commandment of keeping a Sabbath. But there was one time that Jesus was going along the road, and he healed somebody. And there was a bunch of people called the Pharisees, and they came, and they wanted to point Jesus out. And Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath. And they pointed out, and they said, see, Jesus, you've just disobeyed a command. You've just worked on the Sabbath. And Jesus turned around to them, and he said this. He said, said, listen, the Sabbath, this day of rest, was made for man. It was made for you. You weren't made for the Sabbath. God gave you this so that you could rest yourself. And this is the rest that God wants to give you. He wants to come. He wants you to come to him. And he will give you rest for your benefit. Not God's benefit. The Sabbath day isn't for God's benefit. It's for our benefit. And that's what God wants you to come. He wants you to come unto him and he will give you rest so that you can benefit. It would be great if the story just ended here. We just come unto Jesus and, hey, 
the worries of this life are gone. They're lifted off us. But the reality is, is the year of Jubilee came to an end. Everybody rested for the whole year, and then it came to an end, and then they had to get back on with their lives. And it's the same for you and me. We come unto Jesus, and Jesus takes this burden off us, but then we have to get back on the road, and we have to get back on the journey of life. And the stresses of life just start weighing down on us again and again. But then in Matthew chapter 28, uh, uh, in, sorry, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29, Jesus says this. He says, after you've taken the rest, after I've given you rest, he says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am gentle and humble at heart. Jesus basically said to them, he says, take my yoke. Now, there's two definitions for a yoke. A yoke uh, back in those days was something that they put on a bull. And bulls were used to basically to, to, uh, to, to transport things in those days. And they would put a yoke on their shoulders. And then the driver would, 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 would move the yoke. And wherever the yoke would move, the bull would move as well. And so it was like a directional device. And then the rabbis kind of took on this, this word picture. And then they decided that they would take on this word as well. And so the rabbis would come and they would say, hey, this is my yoke. And what they meant was this is, was my teaching. This was my interpretation of the Holy Scriptures. This was the direction I think God should lead you in. And come and follow my yoke. And I will show you the way to God and show you the way of life. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. He says, I want you now, after you've had that rest, to take a yoke, to put this thing on me so I can direct you in the ways that you should go in life. I want to teach you my commandments so that it can direct you in life. Jesus says, come and take my teachings, take my instructions, take my direction. And, and, and what that is, that are the 66 books that make up This thing we call the Bible. This is our direction in life. This is the yoke of God. And this means that we live by godly principles and not earthly principles. So after after all that weariness has been lifted and we've got rest, now Jesus is saying, now I want you to start to live following my commands. And then this is what he finally says. He says, when you take my yoke upon you, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Once you take the yoke of God and start living by the commands that Jesus laid out, you will find that the rest of this journey of life is light. It's light. Once your rest is over, now start living by the map that Jesus has given you, and the journey will be light. You will even find at times that your bodies are going to get tired. You'll find that life will be stressful. There'll be times of anxiety, times when you don't know what to do with your life. But if you take the yoke of Jesus, your souls will be at rest. Those sleepless nights won't last very long because the peace of God will come upon you. You will be free to live life as God intended, not bound by your sin and your past and your wrongdoings. 
You will have your eyes opened to the things of God, not clouded by the things of this life around us. You will find comfort on the journey of life instead of just being at a place where your heart is lonely and broken hearted. And you will find that God will provide for you in ways that you could never imagine. Jesus has come to give you a jubilee. Now just imagine how the people of this world would feel if there was no more debt. Just imagine in your life right now, if you had no more debt, there'd be no more weight of credit cards, no more weight of mortgages, no more weight of student loans or car loans or interest rates or tax bills or store cards. All the weight that people uh, put on every day by debt would be lifted. People would feel like they could breathe again. They would know then how to rest and relax and enjoy life. And this is exactly what Jesus has come to do with our souls, with your soul and my soul. He has come to pay off our debt. He has come to proclaim that God's approval, God's favor has come and to declare that now is the time of this jubilee. And all he's asking you to do is come. Come unto him, find rest in him, then trust him, then follow him. Live a life when Jesus is directing the way and you will find that life will be a permanent jubilee. You know why? Because God is jubilee. Let's bow our heads in prayer.